The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, thank you all for coming out on this rainy night. Um, Sometimes when I give talks here, I'm given a topic to speak about, you know, like uh, Inez doing this uh, Four Noble Truths series. But I wasn't given a topic to talk about tonight. So I thought I'd talk about something that's been of interest to me for about the last four or five months, or actually I guess maybe even four months, um, something that came out of a retreat, a 15-day retreat that I did with Gil at Hidden Villa in the end of September. And I found it a curiously interesting topic. And the topic is um, working with boredom. So hopefully you won't all bolt out the door (laughs) or uh, settle in and fall asleep. Because I think that boredom is... Um, at some point is very important to, to take interest in. So I'd like to start with four questions to ask those of you who are here. Um, the first is, how many of you have experienced boredom in meditation? Okay. And... When you experience boredom, how many of you actually noted it? How many actually made a mental note? Oh, this is boredom. This boredom is like this. Okay, maybe a few of you. The third question is, if you experience boredom, how many of you also, at the same time, experienced some judging thoughts about some judging thoughts. Okay. Either judging thoughts about yourself, about um, your ability to meditate. Maybe I'm, you know, like, I'm not a good meditator. I'm not cut out for this. Or judging thoughts about the practice. Like, who said that this was worthwhile doing? You know, like, I mean, has this been like a 2,500-year-old practical joke that, <laughs> you know, that you get people to come and sit still and, and, and listen, uh, pay attention to their breath? And then the fourth question is related to that. How many of you, when the judging thoughts arose, how many noted judging thought, that this is a judging thought coming up? Okay. So it's it's often very... Um, difficult to notice boredom. You know, I mean, often the judgment is, this shouldn't be happening. This should, you know, boredom. You know, know, that it's it's a mistake. It's it's something that you're not doing it right. So, I don't know if it'll be any uh, consolation to you, but I first really noticed boredom in a big way in, uh, on a 15-day retreat in September after almost 10 years of practice. So um, 
So it was difficult for me, first of all, to really realize that boredom is one of those things to be paid attention to that that arises. I mean, just like the breath, just like thoughts, just like feelings. Um, it's not outside of the practice. It's not something that is to be pushed aside or um, ignored. And so when I was on this Hidden Villa retreat, it wasn't until about maybe 10 days into the retreat that I finally went into one of my interviews. We'd have interviews about every two days and told Gil, you know, mostly what's coming up for me is physical pain and boredom. And he got real excited about that. You know, I thought, um, I felt sort of sheepish about kind of, you know, there's like going in and confessing a sin or, you know, something to be ashamed about. Like, wow, you know, I'm just, I, I hate to just, you know, like admitting defeat or something like that. And so Gil suggested to me that at some point in my practice, I might want to really take a careful look at what is that experience like? You know, what, what's going on there? I didn't particularly want to hear that. You know, I thought he would give me some remedy, you know, something like, you know, just sit up straighter or, you know, do some loving kindness practice. But I did take his advice, and at the end of that, re- uh, you know, for the next few days, I kind of reluctantly started looking at it. And then about a week later, I actually was asked to lead the Sunday morning group with about a, with actually no preparation. <laughs> uh, the, the speaker didn't show up, and so uh, as I talked, as I just related a little bit of that experience to the Sangha, um, people really lit up. It was like it seemed to be a, a pretty universal experience. And so over the last few months since then, um, I've had a chance to do two more retreats. Um, one on combining meditation with the Enneagram and then another 10-day retreat at Spirit Rock. So I wanted to start with a little bit of background. If, if you've been coming here for a while, you've probably noticed that the Buddhists have a lot of different lists of things. And one of the real important lists is the five hindrances. There are five um, uh, classes of experience or um, states of mind that can arise that can hinder the ability to be present for your moment-to-moment experience. And I think all of them, in, in my estimation, all five of them were present in this um, examination of boredom. So I'll go over those um, maybe as a review for some of you and, and as perhaps the first time that you've heard of them. 
for others. So the first hindrance is called um, sensual desire or lust. And that's when the craving or the compulsion to have some kind of sense experience just completely overwhelms the ability to be present for what's happening now. So, you know, that could be, um, you know, often thought of in the, in the realm of, you know, uh, oh, some extreme experience uh, brought through substances like drugs or alcohol or, or sex or gambling, um, extreme sports. Or it might be as simple as just zoning out to a conversation you're having because you just can't wait to get to this to the um, restaurant to have a bowl of ice cream. So it's that that wanting some experience, some experience of the senses, including um, the mind being one of the senses. So it might be wanting um, praise or congratulations or admiration. Whatever, whatever that sense experience is that can um, cover over what's really happening. And then the second, <clears throat> the second hindrance, which is somewhat complementary to sensual desire, is aversion also known as ill will or hatred. And that's pushing away the experience that you're currently having. So so if there's some unpleasant sensation in, in your knee or in your foot as you're sitting here, instead of being able to just be with that unpleasant sensation, there's like a just hating it. I don't want this to. I don't want this to be my experience right now, and that uh, it's often um, characterized by kind of a mental contraction. You know that you just, you know, like, mm, you know, just I'm going to wait this out. I want this as soon as this goes away. Then I then I can be present again. So that's the second um, hindrance. The third one is often described as kind of a couplet, as sloth and torpor, which is kind of a drowsiness or a dullness of the body and a dullness and drowsiness of the mind. Um, I think where I experience this the most regularly is when I go into meetings at work, where I'll be pretty wide awake and you know happy and um, alert, and after, after the first PowerPoint slide has come up, I notice myself kind of like, oh, you know, having a hard time keeping my eyes open and um, just, just sort of losing consciousness, just, you know, having a, having a difficult time, sometimes actually falling asleep. And after the meeting's over, I walk out and I'm fully awake again. So, 
So what happened there? What 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 was it that that um, what it what is it that I missed while that state was present? You know, I don't remember being aware of much. And then again, complementary to the sloth and torpor is when there's almost too much energy, kind of an agitating energy in the body or the mind, and that's restlessness and worry. So restlessness is when you just can't, can't seem to be able to sit still. That, um, you know, the body just wants to go, or the mind just wants to stay uh, spinning on some concern about something which may or may not happen in the future. And so when restlessness and worry are active, then again, it's hard to be present for what's happening right now. And then the fifth hindrance, which doesn't seem to have a a complement, is uh, doubt or skeptical doubt. And that's... um, kind of a lack of confidence or trust in what you're doing. You know, always sort of second guessing. You know, did I follow that breath right? Maybe I can bring it back, you know, like, let's try that again. You know, just that continually um, um, questioning whether whether what you're doing is correct. You know, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? You know what? I better go and ask the teacher again, you know. I, I need some notes, you know. Or um, is, is this valuable? Is this, you know, is something happening here? You know, that constant kind of uh, repetitive questioning. Um, when you get into that, place of continually doubting what you're doing, whether it's in meditation or anything else in life, um, it can pull you away for being present from what you're doing. So, using the, the, the five hindrances as a basis set, then I use that to start paying to really start investigating what happens uh, for me when boredom arises. So in retrospect, when I looked at my hidden villa experience, um, I didn't realize it, but there was sensual desire working. I really had come into that retreat thinking that I was going to have some incredibly intense, incredibly blissful, ultimate ecstatic experience, you know? Like, okay, I I put aside 15 days, I've been doing all this practice, this is going to be it. This is when, you know, something just incredibly remarkable, you know? The the spiritual experience that marks my culmination of 10 years of practice is going to happen. And it didn't. It was actually pretty frustrating. Mostly what happened was my breath would come in and go out. 
Um, I'd have some uh, physical pain in my back. I'd notice uh, it, it turned about out to be fairly cold at night. I'd notice the coldness. And mostly what I found, so I didn't have, so there was an expectation of something that was going to happen, something uh, centrally uh, pleasurable. And also, at the the same time, uh, aversion was operating. So when these ordinary, everyday experiences would arise, and go, no, I don't want to pay attention to that. You know, this this is not interesting. This is not what I want. And so I'd, I'd subtly push those things away. The breath, I'd push away. You know, it's like, oh, I've done this before. Um... And then as that disinterest built, you know, kind of that, that, um, you know, pushing aside this and pushing aside that, um, two things happened. One was a loss of energy, you know, so kind of that, there was kind of a dullness that, that, that crept into the, to the practice, um, And I and I was sleeping, you know, maybe seven hours a night. I I didn't. It wasn't like by the end of the day when I when I got into bed I was just um, sleep deprived or something. It really was um, an un unacknowledged um, sleepiness that had come in. Except, just before I would have to do an interview with Gil, in which case I'd feel very agitated. You know, like, well, what am I going to say? You know, what, what, you know, this wonderful experience that I was expecting and hoping for uh, didn't happen. So, what am I going to report on? What am I, what am I going to tell him happened in this last two days? Where, where had I been? And then finally, the skeptical doubt, when I finally did go in and tell him that I was bored, what I also reported was for the last, for the few days before that, I had just been counting the days till the retreat was over. I was just thinking, geez, it's Monday, you know, it's this thing ends on Friday, you know, I can, you know, I'm sure if I go away and do some other practice or something changes, my next retreat will be better. But I've already kind of written this retreat off. It's like, okay, this, you know, nothing more can happen here. And that was skeptical doubt. So in the course of of this retreat, I, I was actually able to kind of retrospectively see that all five of the hindrances had been acting but because of the boredom, 
or the disinterest, I hadn't really noticed them in the moment. So it wasn't until I decided, hmm, maybe this is something to pay attention to, that in the next retreat, my whole practice was just going to be following the breath and watching for boredom. And there's a saying by this ancient uh, Zen teacher, Katagiri Roshi, that um, if it isn't boring, it isn't Buddhism. So I thought, hmm, that doesn't sound very exciting, but it does. It, it did give me some um, confidence that this was something worthwhile doing, that it was worth paying attention. And so on the second retreat, or really the third retreat, I decided, let's see. Let's look a little bit more carefully at this. And I think initially it was a little it was a little bit difficult to do because as soon as the boredom would arise, there would be a co-arising of interest. It was like, oh, what's this? What's going on here? And it would sort of vanish. And so I found I had to be a little bit clever without, you know, to kind of trick myself into staying slightly bored so that I could look at what, what that was like. Now, sometimes it was... It was real obvious that I'd be sitting there feeling pretty relaxed, present with the breath, a sense of ease. And then the next thing I knew, I was clicking through the channels of my mind, you know, sort of like Vipassana channel surfing. Oh yeah, what's gonna what, what are we gonna have for lunch? You know, um, you know, is it gonna rain? You know, uh, I don't know what's going on with that person. You know, I mean, it's just it was kind of like going, you know, searching for something that was more entertaining, and finding that that often what drew me away was uh, wanting to be entertained. Uh, wanting something more exciting than what was happening right now, you know, something really kind of with a lot of juice in it. Um, and often, what I wanted was a story, and a story where I was the central character. You know, so that feeding of the ego, like, oh yeah, no. Um, know, what is that attractive woman sitting next to me? What is she thinking about me? <laughs> you know, or um, I wonder if I'm the most concentrated yogi here in the hall right now. Or, you know, just all, all, you know, all stories and thoughts about that revolved around me. 
And sometimes I wouldn't find that I had gone off until I had gone all through the, through all of the channels a couple of times. And then after a while I could I could sometimes catch myself just as my hand was moving towards the remote, you know. So I hadn't changed the channel yet, but there was that subtle movement away from from just just here just now to wanting something else. The other thing that I could so I could see it somewhat in my thoughts in where my attention was going when it was going from here and now to you know somewhere else. Um, so that would be again related to this uh, sensual desire and aversion. And then sometimes I could notice it just in my energy that I could be sitting there, I could be present, relaxed and alert, following the breath. And I could really notice the fluctuations in the energy, you know, just like suddenly a little bit of sinking, a little sinking down. And if I could just notice that sinking of the energy, I could often just come back. But if I didn't notice it, if I followed it, then it often led, um, you know, often to thoughts or often to channel surfing or often to uh, sloth and, you know, into kind of a sleepy unawareness. And then sometimes maybe something would trigger me, you know, some like, did I, did I lock the front door before I left for this retreat? You know, and it's like suddenly agitation. And, you know, like there'd be kind of an agitated energy that would appear. And I could notice that. And in some cases I could even notice what was the thought or, or what is it that happened just before that irritation arose? And then I could just... Um, Just be curious about that. Huh, well, that's interesting. So, so the whole tone, the whole quality of that second retreat was so much different than the first one. And what I found was as... I was more mindful, and particularly mindful of the boredom, then what arose was curiosity. I, I was able to um, find a kind and compassionate curiosity about my experience, about just the very simple, very subtle, very ordinary things that were happening in meditation. And they became a lot more interesting to me. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't that I was having the wrong experience or that I wasn't having an intense enough experience, but I just wasn't paying much attention. 
So as I brought the attention and the mindfulness, then the curiosity and the investigation became stronger. And then as the curiosity and the investigation became stronger, there was more energy. I just found myself um, not falling asleep so much. You know, that, that there just seemed to be energy to, to keep paying attention. And then with the energy, there came happiness. It's like, huh, this is okay. You know, there's a, I just felt some joy that um, yeah, there's just joy. It seemed like as those other factors came up, the the things that stood in the way of joy, I would I would notice, and they wouldn't build. And then with the building of joy, there came uh, tranquility. There came sort of an absence of restlessness, an ability to be um, I wouldn't say exactly an evenness, but there was just a um, yeah, tranquility to my experience. On the last day of the retreat was January 4th, which is the day when we had that enormous storm. And it started out for me, I was actually doing the retreat as a commuter and staying on a sailboat in Point Richmond. And the day started out with me carrying all my stuff from the boat to my car in the rain, throwing it all in the trunk, slamming the trunk, and realizing I had just locked my car keys in the trunk (laughs) at 4.30 in the morning in a gated parking lot (laughs) with no cell phone and finding out that they had just removed the payphone. So, huh, now what? So I went back on the boat and fell asleep and then got up and meditated until the office opened and I could get help. And then I drove across the Richmond-San Rafael Bridge when the winds were gusting at 100 miles an hour and just just being there. Like, okay, driving, paying attention. Um, So there was a tranquility and the tranquility helped um, me be able to be concentrated, to be able to just have a mind that could stay with one thing. So when I was driving, I was just driving. I wasn't cursing the weatherman or the other drivers or um, second-guessing what I might have done differently. And then with the concentration came uh, equanimity, a sense of balance that 
I could be present when things were pleasant or painful uh, in the sense of gain or loss, praise and blame, fame and disrepute, that I didn't feel um, blown around by the emotional winds the way I uh, have often felt. So what I just said at the end is, so I started with the list of the five hindrances and what I'm ending with is the list of the five, of the seven factors of enlightenment. The seven factors which, um, as they develop, will lay, lead to greater and greater freedom. And greater and greater freedom from the suffering that arises as we react to our experience. So that I'll repeat the seven again. The first one is mindfulness, which is the practice that um, we teach here. And the second one is investigation. The third one is energy. Fourth one is joy. The fifth one is tranquility. The sixth one is concentration. And then the seventh one is equanimity. So moving from the five hindrances to the seven factors of enlightenment. And I have to say, I'm not enlightened. So these are not perfected (laughs) by any means. But I, I really did get a chance to taste all seven of them. And the key was to move from the five factor, from the five hindrances to the seven factors of enlightenment was the willingness to really go through boredom. You know, that was sort of, sort of the door. You know, so rather than following my habitual pattern of seeing boredom and retreating, you know, like, you know, no, nothing, nothing to be seen here. You know, let's let's go look somewhere else. Um, really approaching it with some curiosity and some intentionality that boredom may have something to teach you. Boredom may lead somewhere if investigated. Um, was quite an enjoyable lesson for me. So. I encourage you all at some point when you're feeling bored to take that as an opportunity. So so it now I'd like to open it up for questions or comments, rebuttals, um, sharing of experience. Okay. I like what you had to say about sneaking up on the boredom. That that if you were too interested in the boredom, that it would sort of squeak away, and it would it would um, just leave. And so you had to allow it to be enough so that you could examine it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not quite sure how to describe that. It was a little bit like it was sort of a shy thing. And if you pounce on it with all you've got, then it's gone. So looking, you know, kind of starting at the edges of it, you know, looking for what, what were the conditions that, arose, that were there for it to arise? Um, you know, what's its energetic quality? Where do, where do I feel it in the body? What thoughts are associated with it? Um, you know, kind of coming at it uh, in that way. I was told by a friend of mine who was raised on a farm that if you're trying to get a cow to do something, you never walk directly at it. You kind of came around the side and, and you, you know, you sort of snuck up on it and then in that way you could, you could, um, work with it. So. I could ask a very provocative question. So how many of you felt bored during this talk? (laughs) It's okay if you raise your hand. I'd feel like my job was done. (laughs) Or maybe you'd want to share what situations in life do you find boredom arising? If you kind of scan over over your day, is there any particular time or particular set of circumstances where that predominates? Um, I am uh, in the position of being a middle school teacher, and sometimes my students will look at me and say, I'm bored. And I think for a long time, I've always then felt, well, it's my responsibility to solve that problem. But lately, I've started to say, well, whose problem is that? Hmm. And that always elicits a bit of a puzzled look because I think uh, students, and I see this in myself, they're mirrors for me. Um, we want to be entertained. Hmm. And when we're bored, it's a, it's a desire for entertainment on some level. I think that's what they want. Hmm. So I was always of the uh, disposition that whenever I'm bored, means I don't want to be in the place that I'm at. And so it's it's interesting to stop and ask, why don't I want to be here? And a lot of times it's just uh, you thinking of the future, Hmm. of what's coming up next, whether it's lunch or some endeavor after work or something like that. But uh, you sure do miss out on a lot of life, <laughs> especially if you're bored at work. Like if you're not absolutely passionate about what you're doing, you're like, oh, great, you know, Google AdWords screen. That's fantastic. This is lovely. Uh, and then a side note, I appreciated the comment about if it's not mundane, it's not Buddhism. Oh, if it's not boring, it's not Buddhism. That, that's yeah. That's really intriguing. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I liked your comment about the missing out. A few years ago, there was a movie called Click. 
I don't know if you saw it. It was somebody that somehow comes in possession of this magic remote control where they can fast forward over the parts of their life that they don't want to pay attention to. And uh, you know, in some ways it was kind of a lightweight movie, but it, it really struck a chord for me of like, you know, you get to be 30 or 40 or 50 and you realize how much of those years were you just not there? You know, we're just like, let's just get this, let's just get this part over with. So, so hopefully this, the sooner you set down the remote, the more you'll be able to enjoy the rest of your life. My sort of take on the boredom thing is that I'll find myself bored and what I notice is that there's this resistance that I carry around with me that is very frequently there. It's as if I'm a bundle of resistance. It's like, no, 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 no. And it's like I have to experience all these different sorts of, you know, no's. You know, oh, I'm bored. I don't want to be here. Or um, I don't want this thing to happen or that thing to happen. Mm -hmm. And then the resistance can be really elusive, too. Mm. It's, it's sort of underneath the boredom thing. And it doesn't want to be seen, it seems. Mm. And I have to sneak up on it. Mm. Oh, thank you. Um, so this is my first time here, and I really appreciate it, um, the topic, because I have a four-year-old, and about one to three every day gets so slow. And so the idea of, I'm going to try it tomorrow, the idea of trying to observe the boredom and the torpor and all of those things, and mm. I think that should be really helpful, so I really appreciate it. Mm. Well, thank you. Yeah, one of the things is <clears throat> there's a lot of what we experience moment to moment that is outside of our control. You know, so much of what's happening is just due to the conditions that exist. And as we resist that experience, what we can miss is where we actually do have choices. So one of the benefits, I think, I believe, of the mindfulness practice is as you stop resisting what's happening or stop trying to make something different happen, you can be more present for when those choices that you have are present. So, you know, having a choice of where you put your attention, um, what qualities you choose to strengthen. Um, make a big difference. So, hopefully the next time I come and talk, I'll be able to hear all about your, uh, <laughs> your four-year-old 
Well, we have a few minutes left. Why don't we sit for about five minutes? Just 